Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another podcast for Golf.com and The Knockdown. As always, I'm joined by my faithful wingman, Michael Bamberger. Mike, thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure, Alan. Yeah, we don't want to get too metaphysical too early in the podcast. Um, yes, this is a open championship preview. To me, I think this is one of the most anticipated opens in a very long time. Of course, we have so much young talent in the game. We have a new alpha in Brooks Kepka. We have Tiger, who's still the Masters champion, even though he hasn't played done much in the in the months that follow. But it what I what I think it makes is so epic is the venue, Royal Portrush, was always one of the game's great pilgrimages up in in Northern Ireland, hosting hosting the Open again for the first time since 1951, and it's just a monumental golf course, and it, it's a really important socio political occasion. So, Michael, what is your anticipation level of, of this Open? Uh, intensely high, or I could say a device has not been invented that could measure my excitement. I'm not really sure how I could <laughs> possibly overstate it. I, I couldn't. I've been, I've been there, and I've never had a chance to play it. I just got to walk it and look around from some of the dune land. Uh, it looks spectacular. You you have been, you ha- and you have played. Yes, I, so it's interesting. I, I'm lucky to have seen the evolution of the golf course because I was there in 2003 with just some vagabond Americans, and we played our way across Ireland, which was a great pleasure, of course. And then last year on my way to Carnoustie, I went back because I wanted to see the changes to the course and report a, a big story, which is now in the July issue of Golf Magazine. So uh, I've, I've been lucky already to make the trip twice, and um you know, Portrush is a, is a beautiful little town, and the golf course is just one of the great pieces of ground that, that exists on uh, in the golfing world. And, uh, of course, I, people probably know this is the first time the Open has ever sold out. 190,000 tickets were gone in, in a matter of weeks, and the, the RNA organized some more water closets, etc. They released a few thousand more. They were gone in a day. Uh, first time ever, there'll be no walk-up sales at, at the Open Championship. It just tells you how golf-crazy Ireland is for uh, for this event and and the town of Portrush and, and really the entire golfing community. So I think the crowds are going to be phenomenal. Of course, Rory McIlroy, everyone knows, has the course record at Portrush, having shot it when he was 16, a sporty little 61. Graham McDowell is a local boy who um, grew up playing the golf course. They're kind of the ambassadors of this tournament, but... Uh, it's really a big deal for the entire golfing world for a lot of reasons. Um, when you're in when you're in downtown Belfast, how, how do you get there? Well, there's uh, there's now, and to the credit of the RNA and and others, it took a lot of work to get this tournament back to Portrush. Um, of course, uh, part of that was they invested millions of dollars in roads and in railways, and so you can take a train that'll that'll drop you you know, a couple hundred yards from the first tee right out of Belfast. Um, there's shuttles, there's Ubers, uh, you could rent a car. There, there's a lot of ways to do it. I think, I think train is a very nice option. Uh, that's how many, probably most fans will get there during the week of the open. Um, but yeah, it's the logistics of getting to Portrush have never been easier. And that's a credit to the RNA and and the stewards of, of Northern Ireland, because it really took a lot of infrastructure to make this possible. 
Where, where is it on on the spectrum of of playability, like a uh, like a lithium might be considered playable versus ex- intensely difficult, like cornucing the wind is almost impossible? What's your instinct as to where this falls? Yeah, it's 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 or definitely turnberry turnberry no breeze is probably a better example of a scorable open course. And Carnoustie in the wind is probably an example of the, the most intensely difficult uh, uh, scoring course. Where, where do you think this lies? Definitely closer to Carnoustie. I mean, it, you know, Northern Ireland is is very exposed to weather. Um, you know, parts of England and Scotland have Ireland as a buffer to to hit to take some of the weather. Um, I think I think wind is going to be an ever present factor. Uh, which of course we want at the open. I mean, any links course is better in the wind and more interesting and certainly a lot tougher, but there's parts of Royal Portrush that are quite, you know, narrow. Uh, you wind your way through the dunes and, um, it's not, it's not a place like, like St. Andrews where you can kind of swing away and and there's not a a huge penalty. Um, there's, there's going to be lost balls. There's going to be crazy stances. I mean, the, the dunes are wild and woolly and, of course, um, in anticipation of this open, um, you know, p- part of what, what the backstory to this, to, the, to bring in Portrush back into the Rota was, um, the, the RNA went, went to the, the proud members of this, this 130 year old golf club and said, Hey, we love your golf course. And now we want to change it because the, the 17th and 18th holes were the weakest part of, of the layout. And they were kind of hemmed in by the first tee and by the clubhouse. There was no room for the the amphitheater grandstands, like, you know, it's, it's such a trademark of, of the closing holes at the open. So, um, what this sort of audacious plan was hatched where, uh, there, there's a second links course right there at Royal Portrush called the Valley links and the championship courses, the Dunluce. And so basically two holes were absorbed. They, they were part of the Valley and there was also just some raw land sitting out there. And so the old 17th and 18th holes have been abandoned. They're going to become the spectator village uh, and other infrastructure. And two new holes were built for this open championship. They become the eighth and the ninth holes. No, excuse me, the seventh and the eighth. And both are tremendous. Um, One is a par five that's just framed by incredible dunes. Uh, But it's tight. I mean, it's going to take three good shots to navigate that that heaving earth. And then you turn around and go the other direction to this, this... very, very tough par four, blind drive over the dunes, slanting fairway, and the green has a wicked false front. And, you know, the McDowell's and the Darren Clark's and others who, who really know Portrush well, they, they feel like these these new holes are great and that's really strengthened the layout because then the finish becomes a lot more interesting. There's all One of the great par threes in golf has always been calamity. Uh, that was the 14th. And now it gets bumped back to the 16th. So it's really a do or die moment in the round. You know, it's this par three that's going to be a 230-yard carry over this gaping chasm through a crosswind. And then the the 17th hole, which was the 15th, is this par four that's actually drivable because it's over a dune and steeply downhill to the green. And so that, that could be a real thrilling 71st hole. And now the finisher was the old 16th. Now it's the 18th. Very tough dogleg right par four out of bounds runs down the left. Cause that's basically the first fairway. Um, and then guarding the dogleg on the inside is just some really gnarly dunes. So it's just a very simple, but fraught question. You stand on that tee and how much of this dogleg do I want to cut off? 
Um, and if, you, if you're too ambitious and you lose in the dunes, you're in trouble. If you bail out left or you double cross yourself, you could the ball could definitely roll OB. So um, they really took the two weakest holes on the course and abandoned them. And they added two more that are, are fabulous. And by changing the sequence of the finish, it becomes a lot more interesting. So Royal Portrush was always a, you know, one of the great courses in the world, and it's actually better now. And I think that's pretty cool. How far are you from the clubhouse when you hole out on 16, or the old 16th and now 18? Only about 150 yards, maybe. You just kind of, you know, you just sort of have to loop behind the first tee, um, and and then you're right there at the clubhouse. So yeah, you don't really lose the intimacy of the routing. It, it was just, it was when when you change a, a proud old golf course, it's always dangerous and. Um, but talking to all the members up there, the people in town, and the pros who who know the course, uh, everyone is happy with with how it turned out. So that's rare, as you know, um, in when when you start messing with with um, with the the links land. But uh, it it really was a home run. And so the other thing about Portrush is there's there's a lot of a lot of movement in the land. I mean, you think about some of the the open venues like a Carnoustie. It's pretty flat. You never really see the the ocean. You could say the same about about the old course in some ways, except for maybe out in the eleventh green. You know, when you're, you're you're close to the bay, but there are some incredible views. I mean, when you stand on the fifth tee, it's one of the best views in all of golf. Um, the whole course is falling away from you, and you can see the dunes. You can you can see the Irish Sea, and then you're playing down to this infinity green that's just completely framed by by the ocean. And that that's a that's definitely a, another drivable par four. But if you go long, it's OB. So um, it, a lot of risk reward built into that hole, um, and that, that's another cool thing about about Portrush is there's some real bruisers. I mean, just some monstrous holes, and then there's a, a lot of holes that are gettable. So it's not going to be a slog. There's going to be a real cadence to the round where you can you, you you attack and you fall back, and the course gives and it takes. And um, I think I think it's been one of the most exciting open venues we have, and. Uh, it's just going to be fascinating to watch these guys navigate it. Well, the, with the changes that they made, Alan, will they uh, are they in place uh, going forward, or is it just for the Open? No, it, going forward for sure. And it's actually a the deal that was made with RNA. It, they're going to bring basically every ten years they're going to bring the Open back. Um, the RNA has committed to three Opens, so this, and certainly the course. It's there's no way to go back. The way everything's been changed and. Um, so yeah, this this is this is Royal Portrush now, and um, I, I think that pretty soon people are going to forget how it ever played because it it just feels natural, it looks natural, and it really has made the course so cool. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, no this it, this is this is the layout that people are going to fall in love with. I mean, it, it's going to look so incredible on TV. It's just pure golf porn, and um, I, I cannot wait to, for the you know scores to start counting and, and the competition to begin. Give the intensity of the uh, political effort to get it to Northern Ireland. Uh, where do you think we stand now in terms of ever seeing an Open Championship being played in Ireland itself? Well, I mean, that's interesting because, you know, the Republic of Ireland is, is not really part of Great Britain. And um, this is the, the Open's always been played in England or Scotland. And then, of course, it went to Northern, it went to Royal Port Rush in 1951. And there was every expectation would come back. And then the troubles began in the 60s. And it was, you know, three decades of basically civil war. 
And of course, Northern Ireland became a no-go zone for, for anything uh, involving tourism or international events. The Good Friday Accords were, uh, were signed in 1998. That began sort of the uneasy ceasefire. And it really took a, at least a decade before people could even think about bringing the Open back. And that just happened to coincide with Graham McDowell winning the U.S. Open, Roy McIlroy becoming a force in the game, Darren Clark winning the Open Championship. You know, th- these were these were Northern Irishmen who were just fabulous ambassadors for the game, and they really made Northern Ireland a golfing capital of the world. And so, um, all of these these forces combined brought the Open back. But of course, there's no history of of the Open in in the Republic of Ireland, and. Um, you know, you could make a case for Port, Port Marnock would be an incredible venue. You know, that's down near Dublin. It's kind of the Carnoustie of Ireland. It's a really tough tactical golf course. But um, I think I think the RNA is satisfied to they're going to bring Port Rush back into the road. And I don't think they're looking to expand. And um, you know, the, the Tweedy old traditionalists, I'm not sure that they feel like the Republic of Ireland is is part of their turf. So I'm not I'm not sure it's I'm not sure the Open's ever going to go south of of port rush but you know we shall see it's it certainly open opens up new possibilities and there's there's a, a hope and expectation that you know the this this one sporting event can help galvanize the entire irish island because the divide between you know ireland and northern ireland remains and even though we're, we're in a period of uh ceasefire there's still violence there's still um you know, this this uh, reporter was killed in, in April, who was caught in the crossfire between police and the new Repub- Irish Republic Army. And so the 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 political ferment, it's not what it was, but there's there's still a certain amount of tribalism and um, nationalism that, that makes the, the politics over there complicated. And of course, if you, if you followed Brexit, uh, it, a... A big sticking point in the negotiations is what to do about the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland, because Ireland is part of the, the EU, the European Union, and Northern Ireland is aligned politically with Great Britain, which would be compelled to leave the EU if Brexit is consummated. And so, you know, there's been talk they, they need a hard border wall to control the flow of goods and services, and um, that has helped inflame some of the old feelings that that uh, led to the troubles. So. This is a, a fraught moment to be bringing the open back, and there's there's definitely some jitters. There's there's certainly going to be a level of security that's probably unprecedented at a golf tournament. Um, but you know, Graham McDowell and and the optimists over there are hoping that this will unite the Irish people and it'll help mellow things out. And uh, that'd be wonderful. I mean, we all know that sports there's a political element to to sporting events. You know, we certainly saw it at the Women's World Cup and. We saw saw at the Berlin Olympics in 1936, and then everything in between. So, you can't take away the politics as, as the context for this this golf tournament. Uh, but hopefully, it won't be overshadowed by anything um, outside the ropes. Right. I think that's the nature of these things. Is that in, in the preamble you hear a lot about it, and then once uh, shots are played in anger, uh, you forget all about that, and you really really focus on the golf. I, I was very struck by what Graham McDowell said uh, right at the very top of your uh, story in this month's. Uh, uh, golf magazine about she spent so much time in her country and uh, in the United States and, uh, and, and patriotism is, is so much part of the fabric of our, our culture and you see it at every football game and baseball game and 
in every parade. And he felt that he doesn't really feel patriotic about his, uh, about his home country. Uh, uh, that was striking. But, uh, but what was that conversation? What was it like to even get Graham McCowell engaged in a political conversation? Because that's not easy to do with, with most athletes. Yeah. Well, of course we all know that, that, that Graham is, is a pretty deep thinker and a, and a thoughtful guy. And, he is in a lot of ways a spokesman for this for this open because he grew up in port rush and uh you know darren clark has adopted the club his son works in the pro shop and the medal he won for winning the open hangs in the, the royal port rush clubhouse uh but he's he's not a local boy he grew up you know i think an hour and a half away same with mcelroy you know he's from hollywood northern ireland he's not from port rush but because he shot that 61 he's identified with the course but really gmac is it's his home course. It's where he grew up. And so he has a lot of really deep feelings about, um, this open and about this golf course. And, uh, yeah, that he was, he's a candid guy and he just kind of poured his heart out. And, you know, he came of age during the troubles when, uh, it was not easy to be proud of Northern Ireland. I mean, there was, there was over 50,000 injuries. There was more than 3000 deaths from bombings and shootings and, you know, Catholics versus Protestants. Um, and, um, was the defining aspect of your identity when he was a kid. And, you know, he, he lived through all that. So he still bears those scars, um, as do a lot of people of his generation and older. And so, you know, when I think when he came to, you know, college golf in the U S um, that's what people thought of as Northern Ireland. It was a U2 song and it was, it was Sunday, bloody Sunday. And it was all that stuff. And so, uh, I think he was self-conscious about that. And, you know, the town of Port Rush is beautiful. The golf course is amazing. The people are wonderful, but all that kind of gets lost in, in all that violence. And so uh, for, for McDowell, this is, this is a, a different chance to celebrate something else. And, um, all, along with all of Northern Ireland and there's a, a pride in the air and there's a, there's a, a, a feeling of, um, of this moment has arrived. I mean, the people around Portrush and the RNA and everyone else has been saying, this is the biggest thing that's ever going to happen in Northern Ireland. There's never been a public event that even compares to this. Um, so everyone's trying to put their best foot forward. And of course there's some jitters that go along with that, but uh, you know, for, I, I think that patriotism that McDowell was talking about is a real thing. I mean, this, this is a, this is a big moment for Northern Ireland in, in a lot of ways. And it just, obviously it transcends golf, but the, um, the golf course and the town and the people will be front and center. And I mean, you certainly could not have a better ambassador than, than Graham McDowell, someone who uh, is beloved and respected and, and, and can really put into words what this all means. It's really, uh, it's interesting to hear you say all that on. I think, you know, the, the, the typical American uh, golfing tourist uh, flies to Shannon or flies to Dublin and, and plays uh, most of its golf. I, I don't know the number. I'm purely guessing here. I would think 85, 75, at least maybe 85% of their golf, um, in the Republic. And, uh, and this is a week to really put, uh, golf in Northern Ireland uh, on the map for the American tourists as well, which is, uh, very significant, maybe not as significant as it used to be with, uh, Bandon and some of the other resorts that have developed, uh, uh, in North America, but a significant moment, uh, for their, for their tourism industry as well. Without a doubt, yeah. The, the Southwest Ireland is so wonderful, and of course, it was it was just on display at the Irish Open with La Hinch as the host venue, and everyone fell in love with La Hinch on TV. Of course, Bally Bunyan's right there, and Waterville, and and Dunebeg, um, Tralee, 
and it, it's such an easy trip out of Dublin. You know, you just kind of make the circle. The European club, I mean, you can go on and on. They're, they're, Royal Dublin, I mean, it just doesn't quit how many great golf courses there are. To get up to Northern Ireland is, is a trek. And, of course, Royal County Down is a huge draw, but Royal County Down is only 10 or 15 miles north of the imaginary border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. To, to get to Royal Portrush, it's another two hours north. I mean, it, it's it's definitely a pilgrimage, and a lot of Americans make the trip. Um, but in the past, I think everyone gravitated to the, towards the Southwest um, because of the violence and everything else. And it's only in the last 10, 15 years that Royal Portrush has been rediscovered. Um, and so they they get the diehards, but for certainly the rest of the world, this is going to be a great introduction to Portrush. And you know, Port Stewart is right next door. That's a great golf course that I believe you and I will play during the twilight hours of open week. Um, it's it's fabulous. Um, there's there's a lot of neat courses up there waiting to be discovered. And um, as you say, there's the economic benefits of this open are huge for for one week, but it it, it can really solidify Northern Ireland as as a, a must do destination for the the wanderlust golfer. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hope in the air that this is going to put Portrush on the map in, in a different kind of way. Interesting to think about the, the four golfers that you've already, uh, mentioned, Harrington, Clark, McElroy, and McDowell. Uh, they're, they're dissimilar people, but they have a very similar spirit and they seem to be aware of life beyond golf in ways that maybe their American equivalents more so than many of their American equivalents are. I wonder if, wonder if you have a theory as to why that might be. Yeah, there, there's certainly, if you made a list of the best interviews in golf, I think they'd all be on the list. And it's not something that really would be. Rory Pudrig and McDowell would be top five without a doubt. Um, part of that, I think, is just the, the Irish tradition of storytelling and it's a very verbal culture, right? I mean, when uh, you you head over there to the pubs or to the clubhouse, and people will talk your ear off, and it's wonderful for reporters, right? So uh, they they've certainly embody that. But you know, they understand that life is complicated. Uh, you know, Rory, he he didn't really live through the troubles. By the time you know ninety eight came around, he was um, he was still a young, a pretty young kid. But um, that legacy is always you know inescapable. You know, he heard the stories. He I think they recognize that that life is can be a challenge. It's not it's not all um, just fairways and greens. And so, um, yeah, they, it's really going to be moving to hear all of them speak about it. Um, and even you know, just watching Harrington, you know, he, he played great the first round of the Irish Open at La Hinch, and um, some his interview. I mean, it was it was just spectacular. That all of those all those characters are such a credit to the game, and it's nice that. They're going to have kind of a moment in the sun here. Um, it really, they're going to add a lot to that tournament, even even if you know. Plus, Brooks got his caddy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's a local boy. So, and um, that, that yeah, Mickey that definitely is is a, a subplot for for Brooks. I mean, I remember when when the U.S. Open went to Chambers Bay, where Michael Greller had caddied, and Jordan Spieth felt like he had a huge advantage because Greller knew the course so well, and in fact, Greller said. Oh man, I mean, I, I know the greens at Colonial better than these. It's been so long; they've changed them, you know. But what matters is that Jordan thinks we have an advantage, and I think that that's gonna um, that's gonna be similar with 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 Brooke. So, I mean, it is interesting, you know. Kepka he cut his teeth on the the Challenge Tour and over in Europe, and I can't wait to see how he handles this golf course because 
uh, as we know, Lynx courses require a different kind of mentality. It, it's not just smash it and then dial in your, 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 your yardage and make the same swing over and over. I mean, it's a totally different kind of golf course. And I think Brooks has that gear, even as he's become so adept at playing the American style through the air. Um, you know, same with Tiger. And it's so fun to watch him manufacture shots and think his way around. Um, you know, maybe this this is what Mickelson needs to find a spark. Uh, you know, another guy who's won an open. So, w- when when you think about the field and and the, on this playing field, who, who who are you most excited to watch? Well, I'm very excited to watch Tiger because I feel like Tiger is the smartest golfer of his generation. I feel like he figures out golf courses as quickly as anybody, and. I feel like he's the best iron player in the game right now. And every open is decided by, by iron play off the tee and off the fairway and hitting irons that will finish whole high. And that's very different than flying whole high, but to finish nine whole high. And the, the, the fact that they're playing a course that uh, virtually uh, most, well, virtually all the field uh, doesn't know, and nobody knows uh, under these conditions. I think that weighs very much in, uh, in Tiger's favor because of his uh, sophistication at knowing um, how to play misses, uh, which he's shown in almost every open that, that he has played. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, I think the fact that it's a new venue, um, for Tiger, um, how about yourself? Yeah, I mean, he, it's going to be interesting because he's he will not have played in a month and Harrington, among others, has been critical of of that notion. You know, when we saw Tiger turned up at Pebble Beach, pretty rusty, um, looked a little stiff in the cool weather. I mean, it could be it could be deja vu at Portrush. Um, you know, it's I think it's pretty clear that 80 degrees and humid suits Tiger, and 57 and windy does not. It just it's, he most of the time at Pebble Beach, he just looked stiff. He just looked like. He just couldn't swing the club the way he wanted to, and he finally found a little bit of form on Sunday. But to not have any warm-up golf in between, um, to not play on that turf, uh, he's definitely putting himself at a disadvantage. But um, this is just a new reality with Tiger where his body won't let him prepare the way he probably would like to. So um, that's an X factor, what he's going to bring to it. But I know he's going over there early, and he's definitely going to get some practice on the conditions and see the different winds. and um, It's... I think more than ever, we, we don't know what to expect from Tiger, and that makes it kind of exciting. You know, he's, he's not a golfing robot anymore. He's, he's a he's an, a middle aged dude with aches and pains, and uh, so whatever he turns up with, it, it's subject to change every day. But um, you know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, a guy like McElroy has has not played well in the wind his entire career, even though he won an Open. That was a pretty benign week, and with his towering ball flight. Um, can he play a different game? You know, statistically, he's having his best season ever. You look at the strokes gains number numbers. He's having one of the ten best seasons in history, as far as overall proficiency. Uh, and you know, he won the players. He's 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 won twice. He's he's got a chance to be player of the year. But there's been a lot of Sunday stumbles. Now, playing in front of the home crowd, will he be completely inspired? And will he access um, some some unique talent? And, and blow everybody away. I mean, it's certainly possible. Will he be overwhelmed by the moment and the pressure and the, and the spotlight? I mean, that's possible as well. So 
I think I think Rory is is really a keynote player, and it's going to be fascinating to see uh, what he can do. Um, I mean, you can go down the list. It's it's really there's even though Brooks has been so dominant, it feels like this is this is a wide open golf tournament, and um, there's you can make a, a credible case for a dozen guys as the favorite, and um, as it's just really exciting. I, I I can't wait to to watch how it all plays out. Do you find yourself, uh, uh, or tell, tell, I'm going to guess that you and I both have a rooting interest. I think we might have always had a rooting interest with this guy, but since Sunday night at the uh, U.S. Open, I think maybe we have more of a rooting interest. Uh, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Jordan Spieth play well here, and, and that statement might be colored by the fact that I'm rooting for him. Uh, uh, if you feel the same, uh, uh, explain why, and, and maybe uh, tell the folks about our experience with him. Yeah, yeah, we touched on this uh, last time on our last podcast, but of course, for those who didn't didn't tune in, Sunday night at, U- at the U.S. Open, Michael and I went to the tap room. We were actually going to tape our podcast there. We thought it'd be kind of atmospheric and fun, and it turned. We just lucked into an incredible scene. Justin Thomas and Spieth were at the table next to us with their families, and they're doing shots and having a great time. And then Gary Woodland rolls in with his entourage, and they're drinking out of the trophy. And many folks in in the golf world, from TV announcers to USDA officials, rolled through, and we were just just chatting everybody up and having a great time. And then Spieth, unsolicited, just sat down at our table, and and we had a great chat for about half an hour on on all sorts of things. And it was it was quite charming. And um, you know, it was he never said this is off the record. We never we weren't taking notes. It was just you know three guys talking golf, and it was it was fun. And so. There's not there's not too many players I think who would who would do that, especially be so engaged for so long. You might get the courtesy hello and um, and a little small talk, but you know, this was a pretty deep conversation that, that you and I both enjoyed. And I mean, Spieth is remains one of the most fascinating players in the game. It's just a constant high wire act with him. Um, there's a lot of fill in in Jordan. You know, they're both very smart. They're both very unpredictable, and that's why they're so fun to watch. You know, this will be the two year anniversary of, of Spieth's last victory, um, which is pretty incredible given, given his talent and his, his youth, but he's, he's searching, you know, he's, he's, he's put together some good rounds, but he hasn't been able to follow them up. There's, you can see the angel and the devil on his shoulder sometimes. And that's, that's great theater. Um, you know, for sure. He, he remains a threat every time he tees it up. He's just such a, a good thinker in the tiger mold. We know the putter can get molten. Um, his ball striking this year has, has not been great, but uh, he knows how to play shots. And I've heard Spieth talk about his success at Augusta is because it's in some ways like an open venue where there's a lot of funky stances. There's a lot of elevation change. There's a lot of geometry and it's not about making the same swing over and over. It's not about mechanics. It's more about feel and just seeing a shot and playing the shot, and um, certainly that's you know he's had he's he's had a great run at, at Augusta National and um, to win on on Burkdale, which is an epic golf course. I mean, I think I think maybe being at the Open will will free him up, and it's not about making the same robotic swing over and over. It's about hitting shots. It's about it's about feel and using the ground and using the wind. And um, so yeah, I agree. It would it would be wonderful to see Spieth make another run because the game is better when when he's on the leaderboard. Right. Uh, I, you're saying uh, uh, what I'm thinking. That the only thing I would 
add to it, even though this was implied in everything you just said. But what I was struck so much by uh, our conversation with him is his unbridled love just for golf itself. There's the competition, of course, uh, which, you know, uh, has defined the love of competition has defined Jack Nicholson, Tiger Woods, the two greatest golfers of all time. Uh, Jones the same. Uh, but with Jordan, even goes beyond that. It's just really pure level golf. And the romantic in me, and romantic in every golfer, I think, can recognize that in Jordan's speech uh, and recognizes that's why the Open is the Open, because it really is an expression of love of golf. Uh, uh, not love of score, just love of golf. And that's why I think it, it is, is, is when in the Open a few years ago uh, was so epic to, for lots of different reasons. But <laughs> one of the reasons why is just how that came through and how he plays shots, how he talks to his caddy, how he talks to himself. And, uh, and it, it, it seems like if one of the four majors is most of his personality, it's this one. I, I totally agree. And you and I both love um, the Masters. We might not love Augusta National, but we love the Masters um, as a as a competition the U.S. Open is is wonderful in its own way. The PGA is interesting, but there's just something special and unique about the Open. I know we both feel it. Um, whether you know, remember last year, Garden State Sunday night, we're on deadline. I ran out to the fish and chips buggy, came back, and we were me and Sean Zock were chomping fish and chips, which to me is like my favorite meal of the year. Um, our, our boss, our our boss, Sean Zock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, not only not only is he less than half my age. He's listening to your age. <laughs> I, I mean, but it's, it's hard to believe given how ably he uh, he, he handled uh, handled us uh, that week. Yeah, I mean, we were filming those videos on the street, and the fans are coming up and we're interacting with them. It's just everyone loves golf that week, and um, it's it's a different feeling in the air. You know, you're in these little villages where. Um, you see players walking to dinner and everyone's spilled out onto the street and from the pubs and it, there's an intimacy that is unmatched at any big tournament. And it's, um, you know, Pebble Beach people really enjoyed watching the golf and then they kind of went their separate ways. But the evenings at the Open are part of the part of the fun and everyone's sneaking out to nearby golf courses and, and playing golf till dark at 1030 at night. And it, it, there's a there's a romance to the week that is is really special and unique, and um, I know you're looking forward to it as am I. Any uh, any final thoughts on this particular open, Michael? Uh, well, I, w- I would just uh, dovetail what you just said, and that's um, you know, but, yeah, I'm sure people always ask you as they as, as they ask me, uh, which is your favorite of the of the four majors. And, and I would say the Open Championship, or the, I don't call it that, I call it the Open or the British Open, but whatever you call it. And then they think you're being politically correct, with, you know, within some kind of weird golf context. I'm not being political con- correct in some kind of weird golf context. I'm just saying it's the one I enjoy the most because it's the most enjoyable. And one of the reasons is it's because it's in these villages and you can't take a train there, you can't walk there. And, uh, and, the, and, and, and the village life um, and the gambling life and our own golf, our own evening golf, uh, uh, all commingle with the with the event. Um, uh, so it's a great, great uh, celebration of, uh, of the game. Was, you know, I've been going since '85. I've, I've missed a bunch of years, but I first, I think I first went in '85, and um, it doesn't really change. It doesn't really need to change, even as even as the golfers change and the equipment's changed. 
um, it's that same set of golf courses, even, even, even this year's golf course, uh, is part of that. And, um, you know, in a world that changes, uh, so quickly, it's nice to have, uh, it's nice to have this steady thing, uh, in our, in our lives. Well, that's beautifully said. Our, our former colleague, Jack McCallum hosted a, a tournament called the Christmas city classic, and he would put out a little tip sheet on each of the players and Bamberger was always referred to as the poet o Linksland, and I think the listeners have a little sense of why that is now. So um, I remember, but his tagline to that uh, was, uh, or sticker that was, uh, "Will heed his haggis upon seeing the Bethlehem Muni," which is really <laughs> funny, but so untrue because the Bethlehem Muni has so much in common with uh, with, with open play. It's 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 cheap. It's open to everybody. It's a simple golf course. And it's fun to play. Absolutely. All right, Michael, thanks as always for your time. I will look for you on the first tee at Port Stewart in the twilight, maybe on Monday evening. And um, until then, safe travels, and uh, I will see you on the other side. This is uh, Alan Shipnuck signing off from another podcast for golf.com. Thanks as always for listening. And Michael and I will do a recap Sunday night from Port Rush, and I have no doubt we'll find a, an atmospheric spot for that. So, Uh, Until then, uh, fairways and greens.